are listening to Stride of Nutrition's Ingredients for Success podcast, where you can consume dietary supplement industry's best practices, trends, news, and other insights provided through interviews and discussions with industry professionals and members of the Stride of Nutrition team. Welcome to the Ingredients for Success podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Rizzo, and on today's show, I have the honor of chatting with Brandon Griffin, CEO of Regimus Incorporated. Brandon holds a degree in genetics and plant biology from UC Berkeley and spearheads the overall growth and direction of the company, as well as its online regulatory service solution development initiatives. He brings over two decades of wide-ranging experience throughout the food, dietary supplement, and pharmaceutical development sectors to the table. With expertise in sales leadership and modeling, transition management and operational optimization, and strategic planning expertise for FDA-regulated markets. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, well, I am super excited to have you on the show today because as a marker in this industry, I do understand the importance to keep up with all things FDA-related, but sometimes we're not really in the mix quite as much as you are. So I'm looking forward to the insights you'll bring today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So where do you think the FDA should focus their attention with respect to enforcing the regulations within the food or dietary industry? You know, there's a a rather wide debate going on in in terms of how the FDA should should enforce the regulations. They they have quite a bit of of, um, sort of, (laughs) they have quite a bit of uh, resources already at their disposal in, in terms and laws that they can they can readily apply to uh, to various businesses throughout the respective supply chains, whether we're talking food, supplements, cosmetics, etc. And one of the areas we tend to see uh, a major gap in is re- really early on and in, in in the industry, and that kind of gets into the ingredient. Uh, the ingredient phase and the ingredient development. But there's areas in claims that they can more readily enforce. There's areas in operational compliance whereby, you know, they you often see warning letters getting issued, but they are quite slow to um, react with more either, either, you know, application of fines or you know court actions or things along those lines, and so often there's a there's a when we see a lot of new companies and and, and uh, individuals that are starting in the industry for the first time, um, they still think that the FDA doesn't regulate you know so for example supplements, um, and so we do a lot of upfront education you know w- with them going no they they definitely are but don't don't mistake the lack of enforcement or at least that you see for the fact that there's no you know. It, for for taking that as there's no there's no regulations or those laws in place, um, I, gi- I give the analogy quite often. It's like stop. It's like a stop sign. Um, you, you can pull up to a stop sign. Often, you know, California rolling stop or people go through it. it it's not until there's actually somebody there who catches you, i.e., a police officer, that will enforce the law that you're not supposed to break. And then if the law is is enforced, um, you know, appropriately by way of you know penalties and fines and things like that you hopefully uh, have a deterrent effect. And I think, you know, within the pharma and med device space, there is, you know, considerable deterrent effects for folks to to operate in the compliance, uh, in the compliance spectrum that applies to those particular products or ingredients. Um, it's less so in the food and supplement space. 
um, what we often see is it's it's only um, you, you tend to see, you tend to see a prioritization of efforts of enforcing the regulations when when someone's getting sick or hurt right away rather than you know all the other all the other mechanisms for for which a, a client should be complying well before a product or ingredient gets to market that's potentially contaminated or adulterated or whatever that may may render harm to somebody. So if you were heading up the division of the FDA responsible for cleaning up the industry, what would be the top two or three things you'd enact to get immediate results? I would, I, I'd start, I'd start with, with where, um, you know, the, the process of, of which ingredients are being brought to market right now we have uh, a finalized guidance with respect to grass and yet there is a, you know, ever looming, uh, NDI guidance that quite honestly, from our perspective is, is, is still very convoluted. Um, we've identified conflicting, you know, if you will, conflicting parts, even within a notification that don't, don't quite make sense. And so cutting through all of that and going, okay, what is the really intended purpose of this? Why should we have it? And making clear what those parts are without uh, a type of, you know, overreach in, in what the intended purpose of these ingredients are. Um, it would be a, a, a key area, you know, ha- having more expeditious you know, approach to defining the regulations and then Im- implementing them. Um, the, the, the delay of a revised guidance with no end in sight is quite detrimental to the industry in, in our opinion. Um, that's definitely one area. Uh, another one is again, going back to, you know, the kind of the, the quintessential examples of FDA enforcement is with the issuance of 43s and warning letters, mm-hmm. enforce them, you know, not just warn them, not just issue pieces of paper, but go through and, and enact, you know, if there's penalties that can be applied, apply them. Uh, if there are more specific actions that uh, should be taken and, and whether or not those should be in a, in a, in a, a legal setting, uh, start it. Um, we, we often see, you know, years after uh, prolonged non-compliance matters, um, you know, for, for the agency to, to really take a, a, you know, get a legal foothold around the company. And even then, it still doesn't fully dissuade a lot of these a lot of these brands. And then that kind of contributes to a lot of the uh, perception of bad actors in the in the industry and the, the kind of the the scapegoated bad actors in the industry. There's a lot of good companies in the industry that simply just don't have all of their compliance in place because they don't prioritize it because they're trying to make money. They're trying to grow a brand. I get that, but that's not an excuse. And it's often when something goes wrong that they then take more proactive well, or reactive steps rather to correct the problem, but are they doing it out of, out of, you know, really commitment to the brand, commitment to quality, commitment to safety to consumers? No, they're, they're doing it out of necessity to avoid future legal scrutiny or, or, you know, having to file additional insurance claims on their, on their, uh, on their products or against their brand or whatever may happen. Um, uh, Another area is, is in regards to, um, and along those same lines, one of the claims is, is, um, uh, or FDA enforcement is with claims. Um, I think there could be a, a more significant outreach from the agency to educate, you know, uh, brand owners around the types of claims and, and um, 
you know, that they can again. Yes, the guidance there, but it's very convoluted. And quite honestly, it's 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 a good bit boring. <laughs> so so there, there, there's often, you know, not not everyone, you know, really wants to understand all the regulations or they want it to be kind of spoon fed to them. Um, it's an opportunity for a lot of trade organizations to take an educational approach and, and, and provide forums for that. But even those are significantly limited. And, um, and you know, the value is not immediately made known or, or just it's not been communicated effectively, I think, across the industry for either, you know, small brand owners or up and coming brand owners trying to get into the space that have limited budgets. You know, if they don't have a million dollars, they don't even have, they don't even have $10,000. They just have an idea and they can spend a couple thousand bucks to get a, a, a few hundred or a few thousand units made and they can put together a website and suddenly they've got the opportunity to, you know, create a brand and drive a revenue source and, quality is often a afterthought and and we see that message uh, most prominently i would say we see that message a lot from uh contract laboratories in the industry talking about you know testing and quality and all those kinds of things mm-hmm. um in the beginning you had mentioned about um you know finalization of the guidance in respect to grass can you describe more about that process and why it is important for companies uh, sure so so the the grass no, the grass guidance actually has already been finalized um, rather, I was uh, referring to the uh, new dietary ingredient notification. Um, you know, I think right now there's, you know, I think, I believe it was in late 2016, if I'm not mistaken, where the draft guidance, um, most recent draft guidance was issued. And th- at least our interactions with the agency and the group that uh, um, handles these types of notifications has approached each review uh, fairly consistently. Um, so even though there's just, you know, there's, there's currently draft guidance that adheres to, you know, the definition of what a, uh, what we're calling now a a new dietary ingredient dossier, no longer a master file entails, um, you know, what often happens and this kind of leads into the, these, these stories and metrics around very high rejection rates, um, is, is a lot of individuals interpreting the needs and essentials of a either a grass dossier or an NDI dossier and putting together quite honestly, sl- very sloppy packages. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so oftentimes they'll, they'll either lean on other ingredients in the marketplace and try and draw a, a very limited example. Um, or they won't going back to the quality uh, comment I had earlier, they won't, um, they won't invest in the necessary testing to ensure the consistency of their finished ingredient and how it was made and how and what, what it came from. And so by not doing that, by not having that, by not controlling that well enough, all the other subsequent studies, all the other subsequent data is quite honestly questionable. And mm. we see that a lot. Yeah, yeah. And then again, you had mentioned about, you know, new businesses popping up and their budget may not be you know, very robust in order to get the necessary um, items in place, such as, you know, quality and to know the claims and actually to be educated in that. But what are the easiest things a virtual company, because we see them now popping outside of COVID, you know, we're now removed from that just a little bit and companies are kind of popping up all over our virtual companies, especially in our industry. So what are the easiest things that they can do that, you know, that they outsource everything and they can do better to ensure their overall compliance and quality of their products? So, so one, one key area 
first and foremost, understand that the reg, the, 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 the environment, the market that you are entering, the one that is entered is regulated. And just assume it's regulated from top to bottom. And then with that mindset, I, I, I hope <laughs> comes one of, um, you know, a seeking of understanding, a, a, a sort of awareness that there is more to do. And with that mindset, you can approach um, either, either, you know, resources for education, like training and seminars. You can approach your vendors like contract manufacturers. You can approach um, consulting groups like, like Regimus with a more open-ended uh, mindset and, and, and approach to going, okay, am I really, am I doing the right thing? Um, am I, am I covering all my bases? Am I, am I, am I doing the essentials? Am I doing more than what's required and really challenging oneself to, to go through that process? Um, and, and because there's such, there's still a, such a specifically around the dietary supplement space, but there's such a low barrier to entry um, a lot of individuals are, are always kind of, again, quality is kind of a secondary nature or an afterthought. They can get in there, they can launch a, a site, a brand and make a whole bunch of money. And, and we know this because we see, you know, small, small companies literally in the already millions of dollars of space having no procedures, have never been audited their manufacturers or, or vendors. Um, they've kind of gotten product complaints, but they don't really investigate them or handle them. And so they don't understand what risk is looming until quite often it's too late. And there's really two buckets of risk. There's legal risk, you know, from a, from a civil setting. And we see that often with claims and, you know, class actions around, you know, damages and things like that. Um, and of course, products not being tested and contaminated, adulterated. And then the other one is regulatory mm -hmm. and regulatory actions, which are, quite honestly, more slow moving, but you've got both, both critical agencies involved in this, which is FDA uh, and FTC are primary, the, the two primary regulatory, uh, uh, federal regulatory agencies that, that enforce those, those laws. Um, there's also, you know, a good bit of USDA now with um, uh, organic, uh, organic claims and even now the bioengineered disclosure requirements. Um, so I think across the board, starting with that mindset, um, looking to, you know, be able to ask questions. I think I, quite often I've, I've, we work with a couple of companies that have already had other consultants um, in, in the mix. And what was really interesting was um, a lot of these folks are like, well, you know, they told us not to question them. They told them this is, we're the area expert. Uh, no, you should question them and they should be completely open with you about what they know and don't know what the issue is. And by by essentially shutting down the brand owner or or dismissing them in in the process, you 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 do not only I think the individual disservice who's trying to render render the you know the guidance, but also you know as the industry too large, the brand owner is going to be like, okay, well I better not ask a question because I'm not supposed to know this or you know I, I don't want to appear dumb. Ask the questions, question everything, uh, but at the same time listen and make sure you pay attention. And what we often happen to also see is, you know, folks that will want to question everything, but they're not, they're not doing it because of, um, 
you know, a really a, a, a way of wanting to learn, but they're doing it as a way of trying to see if there's a back door or a way out of, or a way around, you know, not having to do a test or not having to submit a particular notification. And so, you know, again, there's a lot of education in what we do. I think this forum is a great mechanism for people to get a little bit more educated. And then as their, you know, brand gets a foothold and starts to grow, don't lose that mindset because the business evolves, the industry is continuously evolving, the the scientific challenges, meaning you know the, how ingredients are made, what they do, those continuously evolve and happen. And it, it, surrounding yourself with partners or vendors or individuals that have a more open dialogue and a you know a, a common mindset of wanting to teach and support is ever so critical. Mm-hmm. How would you go about if you were a new company then at the very beginning? So you approach the research, you're asking questions, but sometimes you don't really know what questions to ask and you are listening. What what would be the best way that they could easily surround themselves around other vendors and um, regulators to be able to gain that, you know, that knowledge in order to execute their product effectively and accordingly? So there's a couple. I'd say there's a couple areas. One, uh, the, the the most obvious ones are you know any major organizational trade show. If you're in the food space, do a simple Google search about you know trade shows, food, and you can see a, vi- a wide variety of them. Obviously, we, we've got Supply Side West coming up. It's a big one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, uh, dietary supplement focused um, industry trade show here in the states. And, and it's, it's just, you know, you can get lost in the amount of training seminars that are offered, um, let alone just the discussions you'd have with a multitude of vendors since we're going to be hosting there as well. Um, I, I think leveraging those forums, leveraging or becoming involved in one or more trade organizations, um, different, different organizations have a different focuses. I would say some, some cover an overlap quite a bit, but not all organizations, quite honestly, are fit for every single person or company. Um, but it, it's it's wonderful for them to have multiple options and attend a couple of their workshops, whether online or in person, and really get to know who's in this community and know that there are these different aspects. There's there's different folks involved in sales and marketing. There's different folks involved in research and development and formulation work. There's different folks involved in quality and regulatory. There's all these different aspects of the industry that are critical to, again, having that that just general awareness of of what's going on and and building that, that network and that, that can be done on LinkedIn that can be done at a trade show that can be done in an individual workshop. Um, I think I think another critical one also is again uh, uh, linking into um, forums like this that are really geared towards you know pro- providing ed- an educational resource, but also um, any of the major you know editorial uh, resources that are online. Uh, nutrient ingredients, um, you know, in, in pretty much any of the Informa uh, online subscriptions really, you know, cover current events. You know, I think all, all of them in general do a very good job to cover, you know, more current events to really tell a story both of successes, but also failures. And they highlight a lot of really prominent attorneys and experts in the space to contribute perspective 
And so having, uh, you know, a feed into those or just literally just adding, you know, getting them added to the news list and getting notifications of those in their feed, you know, once a week or once a day to see a topic that pops up, to become aware of a new ingredient that's come to market to, um, quite honestly, you know, uh, learn about someone else's failures by way of a warning letter, what not to do. And um, actually, in fact, you know, we, FDA does a, a pretty darn good job um, publishing things like warning letters and recalls and other events. And they've got, you know, very easy to subscribe to those and get those notices. They can be a little overwhelming, but you can set those up as a feed, whether it's, you know, if you're using a Gmail account or even your regular one and filter that through for keywords or key ingredients or, um, or even something unique to your brand that would pop up in your feed before you, you may even have a chance to find it on your own. So I think there's a couple of great mechanisms to get involved with, and that would just help to, you know, stave off other potential issues so you don't suddenly get slapped with a, a lawsuit and go, well, what is this all about? Well, is it in the space? Is it, is it a Prop 65 issue? Is it a PCAS issue? Is it a claim issue? Is it another issue dealing with, you know, recall? Uh, is it um, is it an issue of, you know, FDA, you know, expanding their advisory uh, list of advisory uh, advisory list on ingredients that they don't like and you know, you know don't feel it should be in dietary supplement products. Um, you know, if you're if you're using those ingredients, if you are making those claims, if you have products that are in the kind of the the hot button areas that the agency is is tending to focus on. All of that awareness gives you a little bit more collective insight to, to hopefully not only having successful brand and company, but but avoiding those those massive pitfalls that can set the companies back considerably. Thank you. That was really that's extremely helpful. In May 2022, FDA issued an update to the guidance regarding new dietary ingredients requiring notification. What is your take on this, and when do you think it will go into effect? What do you think the impact on the industry will be? So we we all read that. And we were like, oh man, like, like, okay, the FDA is getting serious, but when <laughs> are we, are we a year out? Are we a month out? What is it? I, I think I want to, I want to think that within a year from now or from then, so by May of next year or middle of next year, I, I would like to think that the FDA actually takes action and makes a example or two of what what is already at it, you know, within its disposal, regulatory disposal and, and ability and law to enforce. And if they, they, they notice that according to their assessments, a couple thousand ingredients, um, what they consider new dietary ingredients require notification, uh, but haven't been notified, okay, what are you going to do about it? To date, I am not aware, we are not aware of uh, any ingredient that the uh, agency has essentially forced a recall on because it's not gone through the appropriate uh, notification process. And, um, and yet we've firsthand seen a number of greens. We're like, okay, this is either flat out disallowed, or we know it requires a notification, but because of this, again, uneven enforcement or lack of enforcement in particular areas, you get companies that tend to run, run first and, you know, um, you know, kind of ask for forgiveness later, but by the time it's later, they've already made, you know, $50 million or hundred million dollars, $10 million, whatever it is, they've already made a lot of money. No, no one, no one develops a novel ingredient to make a couple thousand bucks or even a couple hundred thousand bucks. The longevity and lifestyle of the product should be significant. And it's just a matter of 
you know, where it fits within the, the marketplace and the associated technology around, you know, how it's made and how it can scale. With all that said, if the FDA has, has apparently this list, well, what's attached to that list are companies and whether the FDA has actually inspected those companies and what data they have is going to be really, really interesting to see how they roll this out. Um, my hope is that you suddenly, one, the guidance is finalized for, for NDIs uh, appropriately. Two, the FDA, with, with their current ability, does enforce the regulations as such. Um, and, you know, they don't have to have, you know, a one-for-one, one, you know, type type of, of resource, meaning, you know, one, one agent for one ingredient that, that wouldn't be very practical or cost-effective. But there are... You know, just as we evaluate ingredients for their regulatory status very early on in the process, it doesn't take much time to do that. So they can appropriately staff, you know, the agency to be able to adequately do these reviews or at least initial evaluations and and put certain companies on notice that they they have, you know, apparent concerns about. Um, but they need they must finalize that guidance, uh, the, the updated guidance. And in doing so, you'll give much clearer direction and, and honestly confidence in, you know, not only throughout the supply chain, but, but, but um, as individuals and hopefully um, uh, brand owners and consumers alike, that the agency is doing what they're there to do, you know, m- ensure the safety of, of, of products and, and ingredients to, for, to consumers. Beyond that, um, u- ultimately, we hope it's going to be a wake-up call because if, if effectively, if they determined a particular ingredient is, you know, requires notification, it has been and it's disallowed, the implications could be significant. If somebody's been selling an ingredient in the marketplace in, incorrectly for the last five, ten years, quite honestly, that that any 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 finished products that that ingredient went into could be subject to recall. I mean, we could be facing significant, massive recalls. So, so I would definitely advise, you know, brand owners to brush up on making sure they've got, you know, a recall provision, uh, I hate to say it, but a recall provision in their insurance policy at, at, at a minimum. Thank you so much. This conversation has been truly, it's been enlightening and you have just given us a deep well of insight into all things, you know, FDA and, and even in this industry, what we can do to be better. You have just given tips that I know that we have wanted to hear on our podcast And I know that our audience is going to benefit from greatly. So thank you, Brandon, so much for coming on the show. No, I really appreciate, again, the opportunity. You guys have a great forum. And I think ultimately, you know, uh, uh, it starts from the top down and the commitment to, you know, how you develop, what what responsibilities you you guys take and your brand takes within the industry, how, how you contribute that information and resources back to customers. And it's, it's a tremendously valuable, um, valuable platform and, 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 um, you know, educational resource. So continue, continue on, continue doing it. We will. Thank you so much, Brandon. And hopefully we can catch up at supply side West. Please look at Brandon Griffin on uh, LinkedIn and try to reach him at the show or any show, you know, in the future. Um, I think you will be truly encouraged by what he has to share. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Bye Bye-bye. 